Back in 2019, when the city knew not of COVID-19, we talked with Erwin Figueroa of Transportation Alternatives about New York City bike culture. Well, a lot has changed since then. I have pedaled through the city for over four decades, and my experience of biking has changed many times. Today, biking in the city is certainly scarier. Now, maybe that's a sign of getting older. But the variety of speedy e-bikes, e-scooters, in-motion unicycles, by the way, one wheel describes their vehicles as weapons, mixed in with ubiquitous metal-shelled vehicles who own the streets, Biking in New York City feels different to me. So today, let's talk about cycling in Metropolis. That was my old bike riding partner, Alan Winson. I'm Rebecca McCain. Today, we will be talking with Juan Restrepo, a senior organizer of Transportation Alternatives, about the new Brooklyn Bridge bike lane and the continued dangers of cycling in the city. This is Bar Crawl Radio Podcast, Recording on the porch of Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on West 72nd Street, across the street from the mortuary, and down the block from Central Park, and some of the best bike riding anywhere. And with that bit of an introduction, here we go! Juan Restrepo has worked at Transportation Alternatives for seven years, helping to redesign Queens Boulevard of Death and the Brooklyn Bridge bike lane. He was the co-chair of the Queens Borough President's Transition Transportation Team, and though he lives on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, will always be a Queens boy. Welcome, Juan Restrepo, to Bar Crawl Radio. Thank you. So tell me, what's a Queens boy? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good start, That's the first question. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a Queens boy, um, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but first of all, I'm born and raised in Queens, uh, Astoria, Queens, which is, um, according to my public school, was uh, a source of diversity. Um, And most times when people think about Queens, you know, like they think about like the food capital of New York City, which is Jackson Heights, lots and lots of diversity. But growing up in Astoria, um, you had like every single racial ethnicity, you had all the different food cuisines you could love, and it was just such a great place to live, and I carry that with me whenever I think about, like, the work I'm doing and what it means to, like, you know, activate communities, and um, also, like, I'm really good at doing a food bike ride because I know every kind of pocket food. I'm next, I'm next. We can go on on your next food ride. (laughs) All right, let's Just invite us. We'll do it. We'll go. That's great. Um, empanada rides, taco rides, you know, like we have the full gamut in Queens. Um, but I also like think about like how that term has become controversial over the years. Like two of the most notable people, uh, from Queens have been canceled. Uh, (laughs) Donald Trump grew up in the Jamaica States and Andrew Cuomo, not too far from him. And it's just like, you know, when people think about Queens, it's like a very diverse place and you have like two people who have been canceled for some really skeezy stuff. So Ooh, I never I never thought of Trump as a Queens boy. My, me neither, no. And he probably would prefer us not to. 
I don't know. Yeah, no. But that's a that's underpinning uh, the part of a, a certain aspect of Queens. Like also, you can associate Queens with Archie Bunker's character right? from yeah, the yeah. sitcoms, I'm and there. it's like you know, yeah. you know, it's not always like this ideal aesthetic that we want to mm-hmm. portray of like mm-hmm. oh it's like where all the immigrants come and they realize the American dream it's like sometimes where a lot of questionable people live what is transportation alternatives and how did you get involved in this amazing organization uh, transportation alternatives is a nonprofit based in New York City and we've been active in the city for next year is gonna be our 50th year wow of, of advocacy we're celebrating a half century Nice. Of, of, of existing and making change in New York City's uh, street fabric. And uh, our work uh, predominantly is, um, especially now, is rooted in what our streets look like and who they serve. So when we say that, we're thinking, how can we create... You know, New York City is probably one of the best urbanist examples in the country, but we want to make it one of the best in the world. And that entails like creating a protected bike lane network that feels safe for everyone, not just people who are a little more grizzled like myself who's been biking for 10 years or, and or, or worked me. as a delivery cyclist, or you who's been doing it for mm-hmm. like 40 years. Yep. So um, that involves a lot more change than what we've seen. Even if we've been successful in creating some change, we wanna see more. It means creating open streets that reduce the necessity for cars or even like is anti-car to an extent. How did you get involved in TA? Um, I got involved because I graduated from college and I really wanted to get into the media marketing space, which is pretty big here in New York City. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, you kind of do your internship and you're like, oh wait, is this what it's all about? Like everyone kind of like a borderline alcoholic (laughs) as we sit here talking in a bar drinking beer and stuff i mean there's a difference between a casual beer and like you know there was a culture there um but i was just like "Ah, i don't know and then like i was just biking one day to my internship and i was like feeling whatever about it that was like the joy of my internship it's like i biked every day to get to it One day, just one guy on the sidewalk was just soliciting me. And it's like kind of weird when you're biking down the street and someone's like, hey, pay attention. I, I see you. Pay it Here, let me talk to you real quick. And you're like, why me? Um, and then he talks to me about like how we should get a bike lane on the street. I'm like, oh, wait, this is like a thing? Like people talk about this and you can like sign up papers saying you want it. Um, and that like was my first introduction into the political aspects of getting bike lanes that you need to sign petitions and people need to be on the street. And I started going to the Queens uh, volunteer committee meetings where I met like a great community of people who are all like united and like giving up like the little time they had after being a lawyer or working in tech or whatever job they had to like come to a space and like try to connect with their, with their neighbors on various campaigns. And I'm like, this is so cool. And that inspired me. 10 times more than anything in my like advertising uh, internship ever did. It must be wonderful to make a living doing something that you enjoy doing, pushing biking, which you love, and, and um, you, know, you make a living at that. I feel very lucky. Yeah. I think there are hundreds of people who want to be doing what I want to do and I feel very blessed but also like a sense of like internal pressure and being like I need to do a good job because like I have 
one, like we're a nonprofit, we're based on the generosity of many, many people. So whenever I like meet someone who's like, oh, I'm a member, I'm like, thank you very much for your contribution. You know, like for, first acknowledging that people are literally paying their hard earned money. Like I've heard of people being like, I've got this like last bit from my paycheck and I'm going to like donate it to you guys. And I'm like, wow, that's like very generous. You could be having a pizza pie right now. You've only been biking. You I mean, I've been around for a while and you've just kind of started basically biking in the city. Um, and I'm sure you're going to be doing that your whole life. But biking and scooting of all sorts has changed in our city. I mean, I've seen it over the years. Can you talk about some of those changes uh, that, that, that you've seen or you felt or you read about how bikes are used during the pandemic and then now? Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. And I think there are like a few buckets maybe that I want to like kind of point out. Uh, number one, New York City is sort of like an incubator for new like bike tech. Like when you go on the streets nowadays, you're seeing like families with cargo bikes, which are becoming much more um, readily used. And they're like putting their children in there. It's like the cutest thing to see. Um, and that's like a new way for one, for um, parents to do the, logist the hard logistics of being a parent. Number two, it's a, it's a different way for children to experience transportation. I grew up in a car. You know? I, uh, we, my, our kids grew up me taking them on my bike to school every day. And that, that changes you. We, that changes we, the we way basically the bonded world. on the bike yeah. for that 20, 30 minute ride to school. It is my favorite thing to see. Like, sometimes you see parents with like the stand up scooters and like the children are like holding on for dear life on the bottom, but they're like having fun with like mm -hmm. the world at the mm -hmm. same time. Like, oh, it's childish energy on my bike lane right now. It's great. Yep, 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 yep. Um, and it, feel, it feels recent. You can only have something like that when you're a parent on a protected bike lane, you know? And the more we build out this network, the more you're going to see that. But not only in like some of the neighborhoods that are like most closely associated with that, like Park Slope or maybe the Upper West Side, but also bringing that out into like East Queens or like other or um, East Bronx or East Brooklyn, like neighborhoods that are traditionally transit deserts. Where oftentimes, and this is like the part of the conversation we don't have enough, there's like a, a hidden population or a hidden demand that we're just not building for. Like biking is one of the most affordable ways of being a parent, you know, like it would save you so much money that you could rededicate towards your family if you could just bring your children to a place safely. But that without that existing, people aren't going to do it that much. And it's something that we're missing out on. All right, so let me just get to some of the other trends we're seeing in the city. So we've got some legislation that was proposed by Senator Jessica Ramos in Queens to allow for companies to um, use cargo bikes for their deliveries. And I think like one of the big topics of conversation we see is uh, the double parking epidemic that we see, UPS trucks, Amazon trucks. Are there ways that we can use cargo bikes to facilitate that? form of commerce as well. When we talk about the innovation part, like in order for companies to be able to safely do that kind of transportation, us as an organization, we want to see um, wider bike lanes. You know, I think that's like a big topic of conversation when we think about our city and we think about the most successful bike lanes that have organically grown over the years. First and Second Avenue in Manhattan being like some of the first few. Over the years, they've become like increasingly untenable. Another trend is um, the growth of e-mobility as a transportation boy, option. Oh boy, yeah. The, yeah. the third rail of, of conversation topics in this space by far. 
Um, you know, there are a lot of old school TA members um, and some new who are uh, who don't feel safe on a bike lane that has um, electric mobility on it. If they're using like, I a could regular second bike. that myself. There you go. Yep. There, there are many people who feel scared and and pedestrians and pedestrians. I feel very scared by them. Yeah, this is uh, this is something that we commonly hear. And I think it's like by far the the most complicated and nuanced debate um, because we're getting into so many different like topics about like what it means to be like an immigrant city. Like, mm -hmm. If we look at some of the power users in this space, we're talking about immigrant delivery riders. Um, and I always like to say that that issue is more complicated because I worked in it and I have like a perspective from doing that. Uh, it's kind of like how um, near, <laughs> in New York City, when you're walking, you hate anyone who's biking or driving. If you're biking, you hate Boy, anyone who's walking. Boy, there is an antagonism against bikers by walkers. I mean, I've been yelled at any number of time. I'm like, why are you yelling at me? I can't really hurt you that bad. Um, anyway, I, I, I wanted to um, ask you a little bit about, mm. again, I've been biking in the city for, for a long time. When I was much younger, I worked as a bike messenger. Uh, I, th I think they were called mobile messengers. Um, wow. I don't even know if there's bike messengers anymore. And, they exist, but their numbers are dwindling. Or they've been sucked into apps. You know, it's like I, it's very I, different from like the old communities that you'd see, like with the courier services. With a dispatcher, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, I was part of that culture. It was a marijuana smoking, <laughs> not that I did, but um, it, it was a most interesting way to make a very small living. Uh, some, some did well, but I, I didn't. Uh, Were you just not fast enough? No, I was young and fast and strong and got... And, and he wasn't cool enough. He wasn't in the right... right. I, 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 I wasn't in the Yeah, I, I was a white guy, you know, and the guys that were cool weren't white, <laughs> you know. Yeah. At one point, my bike was stolen in the park by gunpoint. Someone came up with a gun and took my bike. What and park? Then I, Central, Central park. park. Central Park. Someone came up. Yeah, I mean, it, the city used the to 70s. be a lot more dangerous, I think, than it is. Even Central the, Park? Disneyland? Oh, in the yeah, 70s, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, um, yeah, and, and, and for, for many months, I had to deliver the messages uh, on subway and walking. And that was terrible. That's another story. Mm. Now, <laughs> the experience of biking city streets is not the same as it was then. I'm, I mean, it's just changed. Uh, the feeling of biking in the city's changed. It's become wilder. There's a sense of much more of a free-for-all sense that these, these kind of like dirt bike gangs are kind of in the city and all. I, I don't know. Transportation Alternatives has a point on that. But there's a feel of, you know, craziness. Hmm. Um, I mean, with the dirt bike gangs, that feels a little bit out of scope. I, I don't really, I don't know if it's been your experience, but I don't really see them doing stuff on bike lanes so much. Usually, if we're talking it's about the, the folks, they'll like the take up like the entirety of like the main roadway yeah, yeah, and they'll right. just kind of drive down. Yeah. Um, so we don't it's really... It's not a bike lane issue. I mean, I've... I, every time it happens, you're kind of captivated by it, yep. and you're just like looking. And you know, me being the bike nerd that I am, I'm like, let me look at the bike lane. Let me see how it's doing. And I generally don't see them like infiltrating it. And I don't know if that's like a respect thing, or it's like, no, or it's just not cool right, to be right. in the. It's it's, it's if you're gonna be fun. doing like wheelies and stuff, like you don't want to bike you, lane. You don't want to do it on the they bike lane. They want to take over you know? the streets. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like if I were doing that, I would be on the street by far. It's way cooler than yeah. being in the bike lane. Doing yeah. In a way, it's kind of a, a nice circus. Yeah. Passes but you if by. you can get out of way. And, and but I think on. like your your bigger point about like the chaotic feeling of the streets. Mm -hmm. um, one, I do want to push back on that a little bit. New York City streets have always been chaotic. 
yeah, you know that's like true. that's endemic to the street culture um i don't know if it's the way it should be i just think that like I mean, if we, if we go back in time, it's always like, oh, those taxi drivers are crazy. Those pedestrians, they don't respect the, 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 the time to cross the street. So much jaywalking culture. It's like endemic to how we operate. And I feel like... <laughs> I'm pointing my finger at my husband. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's, so he's it's a like, horrible I, I, I feel like a, a, a lot of times I hear like, oh, bike culture is chaotic and we need to like reduce it. Like that's a talking point I've heard. And it's like it's used as a cudgel against like us doing things in the space. So I always push back by saying like, hold on. I know it feels that way. And we have a lot of feelings about like how our streets work. But like, let's look back in history. And let's look back at how New York has been perceived. It's kind of always been this way. All right. It has been. Yeah. It has been. And we're really talking about the bike lane. Yeah. Sometimes I prefer to ride on the street. I've been a bike messenger. I know how the street works. I know the cabs are crazy. The buses are crazy. School, school bus drivers are the, are the craziest. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I mean, the door is opening up. I can see all that happening because there is a, it, it's kind of like I, I, I see what's going on on the street. I can feel it. And it never changes. And you're right. It's been the same forever. And, and so sometimes when a bike lane gets crazy, and a bike lane can get crazy. Yes, it can. In a way, the street doesn't get crazy. The street, I know. And so moving in and out of the cars in the street, I in a way feel safer. And that's a crazy situation to be put in where, where you feel like, oh, I, I would feel safer if I just went away from this innovation in yep. how our roads worked and I just went back to the same, you know, you've been doing it for 40 years. You didn't yep. have bike lanes back in the day. So you're like, I know I'm going old school. I'm going back onto like how I used to do things. And I think that's a, that's a failure on the part of how we're, creating these spaces and making them feel safe, quite right. frankly. So, so let, let's talk a bit about yeah. the bike lanes and the state of bike lanes now. I mean, I've experienced them all, all around the city, and they're different. Like on the east side, 1st and 2nd Avenue, I mean, those are pretty good. There's nice hills there, and so as you get older, it's kind of harder to do that. But the, the bike lane itself is pretty good, except in places like around 47th Street, where, where Becky works. Um, you know, um, where the cars turn onto 47th Street, there's issues. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. But anyway, just uh, I drive um, since the pandemic. Boo. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. So um, I get my car on 46th Street. So then I go to First Avenue and then turn towards the west to go home. And r when that light is green, it's green for the pedestrians. At the same time, the pedestrians, the bikers, and the cars. And the cars are just turning left there. They're not in this particular lane. They're not going straight. So everything is the same. And I've thought for years, they need to change the light there and make it green when the rest of the traffic is going straight on First Avenue. This lane has to stop and the bikers can go and the pedestrians yeah, it's can a, go. It's split phase signaling. So do you work on that at all? Um, like, I mean, it's like it's something that can be requested. Um, and it's, it can be done in a spot fashion for like streets, like the ones that you use. Um, maybe I should just do it, request I, it. You can request it. And maybe callers on, on this podcast can support you if you want to, um, try to amplify that. Here's the problem though. The department of transportation has rules and a lot of times 
you know, they really overvalue level of service. It's a buzzy word in our space. There's a lot of emphasis on like, how do we keep cars moving in our transportation system? And oftentimes that results in second tier um, bike solutions and pedestrian safety solutions because level of service constantly needs to be maintained or increased. We can't have traffic jams, blah, blah, blah. And so, level of service is defined as moving cars. Unfortunately, it's not defined as moving people. That's like a big topic of conversation yeah, for it's us. It's not we, moving people, it's moving cars. Cars. Cars, correct. Um, it's very old school. We have a lot of antiquated ways of thinking about how our streets work in this country, unfortunately. Sometimes it's federally based, sometimes it's state based, sometimes it's city based, but it's baked into all of those. And we talk about like, oh, can we like remove uh, mandatory minimum parking requirements for specific spaces? Um, can we um, redefine what level of service means so that we can think more about like the general people of, who are moving around. Mind you, in New York City, most people move around by a combination of transit, walking, and biking. They don't move around by cars as much. Uh, and yet, everything is based around, can we move more cars, or can we keep the amount of cars that have been moving still moving? So when we think about like your example of like uh, 46, 47th Street? 47th Street, yeah. 47th Street. When we think about like that specific um, way, the um, it's called a mixing zone, where like you have like the the bike lane kind of going north and then you have like the the driving lane it probably like goes diagonal and then it like mixes in and you turn with the people we have a lot of hand signals going on here so yeah sorry <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. It's all right. no I worries think we're yeah. getting it yeah it's so. mixing with the cars and the and the bikes and, and then you eventually have to like turn in and navigate that space with everybody and everybody's trying to make it work and it's like it's put upon y'all everyone who is in that situation the bicyclist trying to go straight the driver is trying to go diagonal and then into their street and if we were to really rethink signaling if we were to rethink the engineering behind that intersection we would make it work for everybody a lot better and unfortunately that might mean that you as a driver might need to wait a little bit longer if that's what makes it safe for everyone to uh, go no no i'm not waiting <laughs> You're not waiting. She's got the wheel. I'm, I'm being the nasty driver. He's being the devil's advocate. Yeah. No, no, but no, yeah, no, no, the no. nasty driver. Yeah. I've got the right to turn. I got the big car. Right. I got the SUV. I know, right. So I worry about my uh, co-host, my husband, <laughs> biking and walking in the city. It's not safe, according to Transportation Alternatives statistics. In 2021, it was the deadliest year in a decade. Uh, for bikers and walkers, 273 killed. Yes. 124 pedestrians, 50 motorcyclists. One of the worst in the Vision Zero era by far. Uh, 19 cyclists and 15 e-bikers, and hit and run incidences doubled many times. SUVs, many times SUVs were involved. Yes. Is former Mayor de Blasio's Vision Zero still the policy, or did Mayor Adams institute a new policy, and is it working? How safe is it out there? All right, there's a lot to unpack there. Number one, unfortunately, it was one of the most dangerous years in the history of Vision Zero. Um, Tell us Vision Zero real quick. What is that? I, it's kind of in the name. The, the vision, the goal is to reach zero um, deaths in New York City by a certain time frame. And I think De deaths the, by vehicular by, killing well, person. Ideally, all there would be no deaths caused by like by there's like one death or two deaths each year from like a bicyclist hitting someone. So yes, that does exist and that does happen. But like the, the lion's share of all fatalities happening is like vehicular um, 
deaths caused by cars hitting cars, cars hitting people biking, cars hitting people walking. Uh, like each year it's roughly around 20 people are killed or so biking uh, in New York City by people driving. Um, most of it is actually, and this is like the, the big coalition, big tent part of it. Uh, most of it's like car drivers killing each other. Mm. It, it's very sad. Mm. Um, I'm just saying that like cars are as uh, are a tool for violence. And if, if used in the wrong hands, if used in like uh, someone who is not really thinking about what they're doing or think, and we had a conversation about this before, like you really have to think about the privilege that comes with driving your vehicle on the street when you know pedestrian activity is so high and if you do it recklessly like unfortunately we're not we're inundated with like channel 11 news each night being like this pedestrian was killed by a person driving we just heard it on the news before we came here yeah it's like someone was killed someone just killed on second avenue and ninth street yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 but i mean get back to uh, vision zero how's how's our you know mayor doing and Mayor Adams, is he any better than de Blasio on this? Well, I think I think Mayor Adams is... I, I don't think we're using the term Vision Zero as much as we used to do. Um, and I think, like, with every administration change, like, everyone wants to reframe things in a way that, like, lets them own it a little bit more. People commonly associate Vision Zero with Mayor de Blasio. So uh, for Mayor Adams, he's put a lot of... Um, money from his administration, which he deserves credit for, um, towards um, a concept called the New York City Streets Plan. This was approved by the city council during Mayor de Blasio's term, but wasn't um, legislatively enacted until the start of Mayor Adams' term. So with commission, uh, Department of Transportation Commissioner Yudanis Rodriguez at the helm, with Mayor Adams at the helm, they've been working together to actualize the streets plan, which would... Um, over the course of five years, put in 250 miles of protected bike lanes, 250 miles of um, protected bus lanes, or at least um, dedicated bus lanes. Um, it would create, I think, a million square feet. Don't quote me on that number, but it's like a million square feet of pedestrian space. That could be open streets, pedestrian plazas, like lots of new innovations on how people get around. So when we think about all these different kinds of innovations, um, they effectively create the Vision Zero toolkit, but like in a different reframing and then putting a million, a billion dollars towards um, putting in all of this infrastructure is a commitment to Vision Zero goals without directly stating it that same way. That being said, um, we've seen that the city is still not hitting its targeted goals on a yearly basis. Yeah. So when we talk about taking Vision Zero seriously and a lot of the goals of how we're going to get there, um, hitting those metrics is key to ensuring transit's going to be safe and fast and you know where it's going to happen. Bike lanes are going to be safe, fast, um, and uh, they're going to be put in, especially in like neighborhoods that don't have bike infrastructure, where we're seeing like the lion's share of people who are dying on a bike. We're talking like the outer boroughs, South Brooklyn, East Bronx, South Queens, East Queens. It's still like subject to a lot of the issues we've seen during the de Blasio administration. So, yeah. So New York State Department of Motor Vehicles yes. points to a larger, points to larger, more powerful car, cars as being part of the problem. Do you agree? Yeah. Um, a lot of people are buying SUVs. They're upgrading to SUVs. There was a recent... What makes SUVs more dangerous? They're bigger. 
Okay. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a different mentality too. I think somehow when you're driving an SUV, it's like you feel like you're in a tank. Yes. You're not going to get hurt. That's part of the reason why you buy it. You are protecting your own cargo at the risk of other people's cargo. If we look at the average size of a European car, the most popular European car, it is like something that, especially for like those tall Europe, Europeans are, can be very tall. I don't know how they do it. Um, and then you look at the average American car and it might be like um, a pickup truck with like a flatbed, very tall, very wide. Um, and then we look at innovations from um, Elon Musk and we talk about the Cybertruck. Um, that's an even, even though it's an electric vehicle, its size is almost tank-like. Yep, yep, yep. Are police doing anything to catch and prosecute offenders that, uh, for instance, in 2021, there was 93 hit and runs and only a 23% arrest rate down from 2018 and only 3% were solved. Does the NYPD not give priority to these crimes? The sense that I get and like the feeling in the community is no. Um, it feels like traffic violence um, is not taken as seriously by the NYPD. Uh, maybe there are like spot cases where like there's a positive resolution on a case that you know, oftentimes like we'll have a pedestrian who is hit and killed and the family will come out asking for like really explicit strong action. And they oftentimes work in a, like a very behind the scenes kind of way. And like not having that public knowledge oftentimes is very troubling for like the family because they're looking for a sense of justice. And they, they oftentimes don't get until years later when a random article pops up and it's just like, this has been resolved and the driver was held accountable. That doesn't always happen. And, often, and if it does, it sometimes happens in a way that wasn't expected. Would be, that's something that doesn't feel good. Um, yeah. We are Bar Crawl Radio, and we are talking to Juan Restrepo of Transportation Alternatives about biking and walking in New York City. Transportation Alternatives has always worked to make city streets and sidewalks safe for those not in cars and trucks. For instance, Queens Boulevard yeah. is no longer deadly. What has changed on that boulevard? Um, that was something I highlighted as like one of my proud achievements. You must be proud of that. It wasn't all me. So I, I'm, I, I, I assume that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to take my little bit of credit. Good. Um, but that was a long-standing issue, especially in Queens. It was called the Boulevard of Death for many years. At one point, 20 people died just crossing the street. Um, it's impressive how we've been able to create um, a model from Queens Boulevard. I've, I've gotten a call from people in Melbourne who are like, oh, I've seen what you've done on Queens Boulevard. Can we talk about that? We're like interested in that model here. And Melbourne is now cited as like one of the best places to bike in the world wow. and like great place to live. Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. So what did you do? What happened? What was the change? What were the changes? Um, we, um, a lot of this was led by um, our sister organization that is housed within our, our, our organization called Families for Safe Streets. It's composed of family members who have uh, lost loved ones to traffic violence. Um, and um, one of our members, Lizzie Rahman, um, her son Asif was killed on Queens Boulevard. Um, and like hearing her tell the story is just so sad every time, but it's 
basically he got into biking in the early 2010s and he would always tell his mom like mom there are like more bike lanes in the city i'm gonna be fine i'm gonna be okay and it ended up being that he was killed on queen's boulevard and when lizzie um, looked into like what the street looks like there were no bike lanes even though he was using it it was like a crucial way for him to get from point a to point b quickly which is what we all want when we're on a bike we want to get where we're trying to go in a quick, efficient, safe manner. I'm young and nothing's going to happen to me. Right. I mean, if you were biking in the 80s, like... I was, yeah. 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 You've got a higher tolerance for things than most. Um, so she found out that uh, there was no bike lane, and she, against all the headwinds that could possibly come her way, everyone telling her it can't happen here... It's never going to happen. Like the, the, the Bloomberg administration told her it's just not going to happen here. And then she's like, you know what? This is, we're, we're going to fix this for future. And uh, when the, the Blasio administration came in, he made it a commitment, which is like something he heavily deserves because he went forward with it. And uh, uh, it's been transformed in a way for a few years after um, the redesigns happened. No one died. Wow. And wow. that, so where in the city does it continue to be dangerous to ride a bike? Um, I think anyone here can consult the New York City bike map. Um, you can go online. You can type in NYC bike map, uh, maybe DOT, the Department of Transportation, and it'll pop up. Look anywhere where you're not seeing protected bike lanes. Look anywhere where you're not seeing any bike lanes. Um, we see that most commonly in the outer regions of the outer boroughs. So um, the North Bronx, the East Bronx, East Queens, South, Southern are the, Queens. Are these poor neighborhoods? Um, some, yeah. Like, we're not going to say Riverdale's poor. Yeah. It doesn't have that okay. much biking okay. infrastructure. Okay. Um, but predominantly, yes. It is generally poorer neighborhoods, but not always. Sometimes it's just more suburban neighborhoods. And we've seen that there the city's expanding its toolkit to handle situations in in sub suburban places. Um, so they're building out more of what they call uh, bike boulevards or calm corridors, where they don't necessarily have to change the they don't have to change the infrastructure. Let's say you really want to protect parking in like a suburban enclave, instead of like having to build out protected bike lanes, the city has learned. Oh, you could just like. A, reduce the speeds of cars driving so that it becomes more controlled and safe feeling if you're, like, trying to bring your kid on a bike. You could put, like, a diverter where, like, you're, you're trying to cut off the grid-like nature of a lot of our streets because if you have a grid and it's very effective for driving, like, people are just going to affect it. Effective and efficient driving is just driving fast. If you can make it hard to do that continuously for like miles on end, car culture is going to change. So a part of a part of like changing the car culture in like especially like single family zoned home areas is just making it so you can't like just drive continuously very quickly the entire time and endanger the entire community doing so. Um, so di diverters, maybe like changing some streets so you can't always go both ways we've seen this in sunnyside queens they put in a bike boulevard there and a lot of that is about just making sure if you want to drive two ways you can do it for a certain amount sometimes it becomes one way it's like changing up the grid interesting and Check slowing, it out. Up, slowing up the traffic slowing up the traffic a little bit okay please. you're still going to get where you're trying to go but <clears throat> we're prioritizing people in a new way it might be five minutes later whatever yeah, it is you're not no gonna be that deal. late yeah. yeah um 
you, you, you and I are, are bikers in the city. Is New York City, I don't know if you have an experience about biking in other cities, is New York City the best biking city in the world? No. No. <laughs> no, and you're, and you're like, is that no, a serious question? <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, American exceptionalism, you know, put to the side. Um, look at what they're looking at doing in Paris. Look at what already exists in like Dutch countries. Yeah, in uh, Utrecht, what, what? Netherlands, yeah. and Antwerp, Germany are some of the best. W what's the difference? What do they have that we don't? I mean, first of all, look at um, Clarence Eckerson's street films. Um, it um, it makes me cry watching those videos, especially the one that he did on Utrecht's bike parking um, at Transit. They've created huge parking garages for bikes, and it's lavish and incredible. And when <laughs> right now we have to give you a comparable example, the the MTA has done a bicycle study on like how to increase biking and, and connect like their transit systems with our like bike systems in the city. And their solution to providing bike parking at Long Island Railroad stations, MTA stations, is like what the city can do. And you know what the city can do? They can do like those squiggly looking bike parking that you see outside of a station. It's not covered, it's not protected, it's not, uh, it's just like what you see on the streets. And it's just like, It might okay. as well be a pole. Pretty much, exactly. Sometimes I feel better with the pole. I don't even know. But it's just like, all right, so in Utrecht, you go and you get this lavish building where you can store thousands of bikes so people can, like, connect their bike travel with their metro travel. And here in New York City, it's part of, like, an MTA strategic action plan. You get, like, a little squiggly thing on the street and, like, hope that your bike is going to be there when you come back after your day at right, work. Right, yeah. And that's just the bike parking part of it. Go to Paris where they are literally like making the best bike network in potentially the world. And they're doing it at an aggressive clip. Like people 10 years from now are going to say Paris might be the best biking city. It's incredible cool. what they're doing. But the, I mean, the, the question is here because we're living here now. We're not yeah. in Paris is, you know, we, we are a car culture. America's always been, well, we were a horse culture and now we're a car culture. Are we ever going to be bike centric? Are we ever going to think of bikes as, you know, bikes and e-bikes as that's who we are? Um, but I think that the idea of biking needs to be depoliticized um, and there needs to be a concerted effort from the federal government. And that's really difficult when the federal government's constantly shifting between political parties and the Democratic Party is creating grants and infrastructure projects that like benefit biking and the Republicans are like, fuck this biking. Uh, pardon my language. Um, so it's like it's not conservative to be a biker. It should be. It should be. Li but libertarians should be all up on this. They should be like. It's government free. You don't have to get like a plate. You don't have to pay dues or fees. You're like, on your own. Yeah, you're yeah. on your own. It, exploring the great outdoors. Like there are so many different ways to yeah, yeah. sell yeah. a bike in different ways. But there needs to be like this concerted idea that like this is not something that is like, you know, a, a crunchy sort of like. Yeah, like a woke thing. No, it's not. A, it's not a woke thing. This is literally how you liberate families and you're not even like stopping everyone who drives from driving you're just give if if a person wants to have in their garage a car and an e-bike or a cargo bike like they should be able to do that that is true freedom 
The yeah. free, freedom is not, if we get into like American values, like freedom is not being pigeonholed into like owning a car. It is like being allowed to do many different things. So that means like giving people access to good transit, giving people access to like good bike, safe bike travel, giving people access to, yes, a car ride. Um, and I would just add that there's an, a fantastic video from Not Just Bikes, uh, if you guys are familiar with that YouTube channel, um, where he makes the case that Amsterdam, with its uh, reputed history of being like a great biking city, is also one of the best driving cities because um, they've developed their network in a really intelligent way. Highly recommend watching. One more question that, that I have um, is that you ride in the city. What's your favorite bike ride in the city? I have a controversial take, which is that just riding at night in the city mm. is the best experience you can have. There's just something about like uh, my jam is just like I have a little Bluetooth speaker that I put like on the clip of my bike, my backpack. You don't put it into your ears. Never in your ears. You no. always want to be able to hear things. That's it's right. also just the vibes are better. That's yep. what Alan always says. Yeah. Don't put it in your ears. Yeah. Because you take a lot of cues from the city, yes. from the sounds around you. Uh, you put on like your jams on like your Bluetooth speaker. Uh, you're just like cruising through the night. And it doesn't matter where you're going. Like the vibes are always just immaculate. Because like lower car traffic, like the, some, especially on a summer night. Summer, I was going to say, not the winter. I would do I would do winter too, just yeah. properly dressed. You can bike. It's all all seasons. Something about the winter. Um, yeah, I it like is it. the best way of experiencing the city. My best ride I, that I can remember, I was going back to, is it was in the um, afternoon, kind of dark. It was raining, light rain, riding along Central Park West, and my son is on on my bike, sitting between my legs. He's asleep. I have the umbrella over him. <laughs> And we're going like slowly up, up, Upper West Side on, on, on the, uh, um, what is it, uh, West End Avenue, not West End Avenue, along Central the Park West. Central Park West. Okay. Central Park West. When it has the bike lane or before that? With the bike lane was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like gently keeping him asleep as we rode along and the rain was falling on me and he was dry and sleeping. That is a beautiful image. I'm just imagining you balancing a child in an umbrella. I'm balancing a umbrella. But we're going slow. It's on the bike lane. And he's sleeping, and it's like I'm just, like, just cavelling. All right, Juan. I do not ride a bike in the city. Mm -hmm. I'm a little frightened. I did. I have in the past. But anyway, I drive to work. Mm -hmm. I drive to work. I have not owned a car since I was 19. I've had this car for a year. It's a European little Fiat. <laughs> Too many details here. I just want to make sure everybody who's listening understands my position. I got it during the pandemic, uh, and I didn't when I didn't want to take the public transportation. And I have too much to carry. I whatever. I'm a teacher, and I carry tons mm. of stuff. Okay, okay, I know. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Your organization <laughs> argues that cars take up too much space in our city, and that more should be given over to cyclists and walkers. I agree. Could you talk about the problem you have with my beloved Ruby Tuesday? That's her name. Ruby Tuesday? <laughs> That's the name of her car. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I, one thing I want to highlight before I answer that is that um, since 2018, the amount of the proportional amount of women who are biking has gone down, mm. um, which is like an interesting statistic. Biking in the city has gone up, but the amount of people who are biking who are women has gone down. 
And I think when I think about that, I think there is something to be extrapolated. We've seen data showing that like women, the, the share of women who are biking goes up when bike lanes are predominantly uh, protected, connected, like all the stuff that makes sense. Basically it's saying that men are irrational and women are smart. Uh, <laughs> so to, to get to your point, there's nothing wrong with Ruby Tuesday, you know? I, I think, and it depends on who you ask, right? I, I tend to like moderate my opinions when it comes to how people are getting around. If you need a car, you should be able to use it. Um, our main goal is to find the people who are being pigeonholed into driving a car or perceive that they're being pigeonholed into driving a car and and liberate them to ex- to an extent and say like, you don't, need to own this you don't need to like do alternate side of the park uh, alternate side parking constantly move your car you don't need to pay insurance you don't need to maintain a car that you don't need and there's like a comprehensive set of solutions that can be created for those people and it includes car share it includes um you know a better borrowing culture in general you know people don't need to own everything um it includes giving people safer uh bike options, better transit options, more affordable transit. Um, and when you create that comprehensive picture for people, it lets them opt out of their car. And if you need to maintain Ruby Tuesday for your work, or if um, someone who does a lot of like small business work where maybe they ho- hold a lot of tools um, and they want a car for that, even though they could use a cargo bike too. I know a few people who do this. like. They should, everyone should have an option that allows them to optimize their life. If people are not able to optimize their life, they're going to be pigeonholed. And then when you're trying to bring Ruby Tuesday along, uh, you're going to be dealing with everyone who was forced to drive, creating traffic and taking up parking spaces. So unfortunately, we are also failing at accomplishing that ever since the pandemic started. We have... Um, seeing the amount of car ownership and car purchase rates go up since the pandemic started. Um, and you a lot are of people like me, I'm people sure. like you, yeah. literally, who just bought a car within the past two, two to three years or so. There are some amazing projects in our city that is making biking and walking so much better. One project in particular excites us because we just produced a program on the restoration of the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, that's BCR number 181. Check it out. And you were involved with planning the bike lane. So tell us about it. It's really exciting. People for at least a decade, probably longer, have known that the Brooklyn Bridge Promenade um, has been overburdened with just the growth of tourism and the growth of people needing to use it as a means of transportation, quite frankly. You know. I was just out there last week for this program we just did. It is overcrowded with people who are loving it. Yes. The well, promenade, the walkway. Well, they, they, don't, they don't need to like, worry about people biking. I remember I, I, I brought some of my like, relatives from Indiana in, and they're like, we want to do the Brooklyn Bridge Promenade. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right. <laughs> and that's like the worst reaction when you're just like in, internally just like, all right, we have to deal with this bike thing. You know, like all the... The amount of times, like, when I took the promenade and I was involved in, like, people's, like, photos for their great time time. in New York. Yeah. You know, you you stick up the peace sign or whatever, but, like, it's 
while you're dodging so around fun. people while you're dodging around people and there are like little if you go on youtube there are videos of people who um who like do these joy rides on the promenade just to scare people because they're like it, it's yeah so like a lot of but no uh, more no more the, bikes it's so much better now it is so so much better now right now on the brooklyn bridge if you want to do a walk um there are no longer any bikes and look pedestrians and bikes can mix well a lot of times but this was one situation where it was just like so uncomfortable you had like poorly marked lanes that were meant to separate pedestrian and bike traffic no one respected them so every time it was just like the amount i've never seen people more frustrated than like the people ringing their bells to try to like alert people to move and everyone's just like also trying to like get their best selfie in on the bridge and it's like such a bad mismatch it was like this for ye like decade at least a decade ever yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then finally after transportation alternatives created a coalition called uh hashtag bridges for people with the number four instead of the word four we were able to do a lot of events we were able to effectively lobby elected officials and then we made it a politically popular idea to reclaim a street uh, a lane on the road going from brooklyn to manhattan over the bridge and turn that from a vehicular lane into a bike lane um so if you ask any if you ask the city like how they would prefer to like create space for people walking walking and biking they want to like spend hundreds of millions of dollars to like build a cantilevered new path on the side of the bridge that's like does not going to influence like car traffic or anything and what's so impressive about the victory on the brooklyn bridge is that this costs millions of dollars not hundreds of millions of dollars and it took months not years to put this in the city committed to doing it at the beginning of oh, i might be forgetting my thing it's either 20 i think 2021 um it took months the city put their heads down they got to work and they did it in months and there was a time when we were concerned it wasn't going to be wide enough but for the most part it works and it's an incredible innovation in not just creating space for people biking and 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 creating more space for people walking as a result but also just in, in in showing that city government can do things quickly if they're willing to use already existing infrastructure and yes make some car drivers uncomfortable in that process um it, it it was a strong affirmation of like the city's goals to make the city more bikeable to say like instead of making you wait instead of torturing poor travelers from Indonesia and London, um, we're going to reclaim this lane. Um, have you, have nice. you ridden along the bike path on the Brooklyn it. Bridge? I love it. Yeah, I haven't done it yet. Yeah. Even though it has been uh, criticized as being a bit narrow. It is narrow, yes. Yeah, right, right. I mean, that's one of the drawbacks of the way that we did it. But I think a lot of people are willing to, you know, accept that for the fact that they can enjoy it way sooner. And transportation alternatives was a big part of that, and you were part of that in, in getting it done? Um, I always like, even with like Queens Boulevard and all these projects as an organizer, I always like to say I was part of it. There are so, I wanted, as a paid employee, this is my job. The amount of people who were part of the Bridges for People Coalition, who were just like, again, lawyers, tech workers, people with day jobs who would dedicate their 
you know, their few hours after work um, to participate in events and like help get the word out. We collected thousands of petition signatures um, and support from local businesses and we held like great events. Um, those are the true heroes in my opinion. The volunteers. Well, we volunteers. have Always you here now, Juan Restrepo, and we want to thank you for the work that you did in, in getting the Brooklyn Bridge bike lane up and going and uh, for all the other work that Transportation Alternatives has done over the last 40 years? 50. 50 years. Coming up on 50. I, I, can, only, I can only account for like... Like the last ten. Seven. Seven, seven years. All right, all right. Yeah. Seven I'll, going I'll on. Take my, I'll take my credit. Seven, seven good years. 30. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Juan Restrepo of uh, Transportation Alternatives. This was a great conversation. We are sitting at a great Upper West Side bar, Gephardt's on West 72nd Street, and from this spot, you can easily walk or ride a bike to Times Square or Central Park or Lincoln Center or any number of museums. But you have to be careful because it is also a city of motor vehicles. We have been talking with Juan Restrepo of Transportation Alternatives, working to make movement around our city safe and joyful for all of us. One more time, I'm Rebecca McCain with my co-host, Alan Winson, and we are Bar Crawl Radio. Thanks to our producer, Alina Larson, for arranging this conversation. If you or someone you know is doing really interesting work for their neighbors, let us know, and we will buy you a drink and have a conversation. Contact us at barcrawlradio at gmail.com. Oh, we usually forget to thank Wade Ripka's Eastern Blockheads Band for our Bop Bop theme music. So thanks, Wade.